Let's take our Bibles, turn back to the book of Acts. I want to finish up this book, Lord willing, over the next couple of months. We've been in it for uh, almost a year and a half now, and I've really enjoyed the study and the time, and I believe it's been a help for our church as well as we've looked at the Word of God and the work of God as it moved forward through the Spirit of God to transform lives as people came to Christ, as disciples were made, as churches were founded, as missionaries were sent out, and as the church really grew and developed over those first several decades of time that are recorded here in the book of Acts. And I have been wrestling with this message since I preached the last message in Acts, which is back before our anniversary. So this is going back to the end of March on how to deal with this next portion of Acts. Because if you're reading ahead, if you know the story, we're really close to the end of the book. We're not close to the end of the story because the story is still taking place to this. In verses 20, or chapters 23 through 26, we have a series of four different trials that Paul uh, was on. Remember, when he went to Jerusalem, he was warned many times. There was a prophet by the name of Agabus. I'm taking you back in your mind about a month since we've been here. A prophet named Agabus. There were others, believers in various cities and churches that came to him and said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. When you go to Jerusalem, they're going to lock you up. Purposed in his heart. Remember, he was taking that offering to the people in Jerusalem from all the other Gentile churches. And this was going to be a great testimony to the Jews in Jerusalem that the work of God was powerful enough to transform even Gentile hearts. And they were becoming believers too. Again, think about the culture of the day. They're thinking, well, only Jews can trust Jesus. And Paul's saying, no, Gentiles, praise God, Gentiles can be saved too. And, and the Gentiles can be brought in. And so this offering was really important for that. So Paul gets to Jerusalem, and you remember he met with the leaders there with James and the others, and they were kind of concerned about Paul, and so they told him that he needed to spend time with these four men who had shaved their heads and had taken a vow uh, to the Lord. That's how I know the timing, because that's when I cut my hair short, and I told you I didn't take a vow when I cut my hair, I just cut my hair. But uh, that's, that's where we're at, right? And so Paul goes into the temple, and while he's there, some people accuse him of bringing Gentiles into the inner court of the temple and there's a big riot that ensues and they take Paul, they arrest him and the Roman centurion comes down because the Jews regularly rioted in and around the temple and so the Roman centurion comes down and he, and he grabs Paul and carries him off and throws him in prison but it's more for Paul's protection and to stop the rioting that was going on. So then as he's bringing Paul out, Paul has an opportunity, remember, to address all of the, the Jews that were gathered that day. He begins to share his testimony of how he came to Christ and how God sent him as a missionary to the Gentiles. When he says the word Gentiles, the whole place just erupted and everybody was very upset. Why? Because at the end of the day, the Jews didn't love the Gentiles. They just didn't like these people because the Jews viewed themselves as is special. I mean, sadly, we find ourselves living in similar world. People haven't changed, right? And uh, whether it's Jews against Gentiles or Gentiles against Jews or white against black or anything that goes on in our world today, people have always looked for excuses to not like somebody else because of their ethnicity, their skin color, their origin, or something else about them, their economic, their, their educational level, whatever it is. And so Paul here is now in prison, and he's brought before the religious leaders. Again, the Roman centurion there protecting him. And he presents his case. He's accused of, of wrongdoing, which he hadn't done. Then that's not going anywhere, so they then take him to Caesarea. And he is put on trial there by Felix in Caesarea. Felix hears what he has to say. In fact, Felix, it seems, kind of agrees with Paul a little bit, but Felix is a politician, and he's hoping that Paul will pay him some money or some of Paul's 
followers will pay him some money to let him go free. And, of course, no money gets paid, so Paul stays locked up in prison. Felix then is replaced by Festus, who he, Festus looks around, and he's like, who's this guy locked up in my jail? And they're like, oh, it's Paul, and it tells him the story. Well, has he had a trial? No, but he is a Roman citizen. Okay, well, we better try him. So they bring him up to trial, and here come the religious leaders once again, and we have another trial. Once again, they make no decision, and then Festus, just to try to get some help, he has King Agrippa, and King Agrippa's wife, her name was Bernice, uh, they come in, and Paul is on trial before them. And it's King Agrippa that makes that famous statement that there's been a song written about where he says, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And maybe you've heard the old-time invitation song that says, Almost persuaded now to believe. Well, that's from the words of King Agrippa. So I've been working through this in my mind. I thought, I, I don't know if people, when they're coming to church, if I preach four straight weeks just on the four different trials, because they're all very similar, if that's going to be helpful to us or not. I want to take God's Word and teach it to you in a way that you're going to be able to hear it and understand it and apply it to your life. But as I've been looking at these various trials, all kind of similar in nature, all grouped together here in the book of Acts, I asked myself the question, why did the Holy Spirit inspire Luke to record all four of these trials for us. Is it just a historical record? Well, we do know the Bible gives us a historical record. But the Bible also tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and that it's profitable for doctrine, to teach us, for reproof, to tell us where we're wrong, for correction, to help us to get right with God, and for instruction in righteousness, to help us stay right. And so as I kept reading and meditating on these passages over the last month, I kept thinking, what does God want to teach us through these four? Very similar in a lot of ways, trials of Paul. We're going to have Paul's testimony once again, but we've already heard that a couple of times in the book. We're going to have Paul thrown in prison. Well, that's nothing new. We've heard that before. Paul's been there quite a bit, in fact. So why does he include all of this in Acts for us? And as I began to study and think about this, I was drawn to scriptures like in 2 Timothy 3, where Paul wrote this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy. In verse 12 and 13, he tells Timothy, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. In Acts 23 to 26, we have a very clear record of Paul's experience that he was writing to Timothy about and saying, Timothy, don't be surprised. You will suffer persecution if you serve the Lord. The reality is this. We're all in a spiritual battle. And Paul was in one. Paul also wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians 1.29. He says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. 11. And finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we also, I think, will learn some things as we look at these trials of Paul. We learn the truth that we're all in a battle. We'll also learn the truth that life is short. Paul's life, at least his recorded life in the pages of Scripture, is drawing to a close. But the reality is for all of us that life is short. James, that pastor there in Jerusalem that Paul spent time with, it, he wrote about it in James 4.14. He says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for, what's he say, a little time and then vanisheth away. Paul wrote to the church, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. 
So that means, Paul, when you're locked in prison, do all to the glory of God. When you're standing trial in front of Festus or Felix or Agrippa or the religious leaders of the day, do all to the glory of God. How did Paul have the courage to stand up again and again over a period as you read through this? It's several years. At one point, he's locked in prison for two years in between trials, in between being brought up before the government to be tried for his supposed crimes. What can we learn from Paul's ordeal? How I want to take this over the next few weeks, I want to look at these trials from three different perspectives. And today we're going to look at this idea of Christianity on trial from God's perspective. What, would, what is God doing through this situation? Next week, Lord willing, I want to look at this idea of trial from the enemy's perspective. What's the enemy doing when he brings us into these kinds of trials? What are the enemies of Paul trying to do through these trials? And then, hopefully, if these things work out according to my plans, which they don't always, but I want us to see in the next week after that, what should our perspective be when it comes to facing these kinds of difficulties like what Paul went through? So let's look at some truths that we can see, and I'm going to be jumping around a little bit in these passages of Scripture here. So you may have to turn your pages a little bit. I've included some on the screens up here. But stick with me today because, in a sense, I, I'm trying to break all of this down into three different parts and take this one episode in Paul's life that included all four of these trials and look at it from three different perspectives. So before we jump in, can we ask the Lord for His help? Uh, I'm, this, this is a big thing we're biting off today, so let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, as we look at Your Word, You know um, that Your Word is true. We know that it is profitable. We know that it gives us what we need for today. And Lord, I've done my best to prepare this. I've been thinking about it, praying about it, studying it. And Lord, there may be others who could even do a better job with this passage of Scripture than I. But Lord, that's not what's important. What's important today is that you speak to our hearts through your word. And I pray that you would use me as your vessel to speak today. Help us, Lord, to get some understanding, a clearer understanding of what your perspective is in our trials and challenges and difficulties that we face. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One very clear general principle we can take from this section of Scripture, and again, I'm not going to read all four chapters to you today. I would encourage you over the next few weeks just to read this and, and think about it. But we can see very clearly that God allows trials. God allows trials. Sometimes we find ourselves in a difficult situation. We, we act surprised. Why did this happen to me? What is going on? Well, we see from Paul's experience that God allows trials. Could God have set Paul free? Could God have made the prison bars open and the chains fall off? Sure, he'd done it before. But God allows trials. Over the last few weeks, we've been focused on the greatest suffering that any person has ever gone through, the suffering of Jesus Christ, our Savior. If God allowed His own Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer, do you think that He can also allow you and me, His children, to suffer? Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And, and as we will look at this passage together, we'll see that Paul was very faithful. He was regular in his service to the Lord. But Paul's faithfulness did not keep him from trials. Sometimes we get a little twisted up on that. We think, well, I, I've been going to church. I've been giving. I've been serving. I've been doing 
the things that I'm supposed to do. So why am I going through this trial? God allows trials, and your faithfulness to God does not keep you from facing difficulty in your life. Here's another thing that I think you can see as these trials are stacked one upon another is this, that one trial sometimes leads to another trial. <laughs> sometimes you're in a difficult situation. You say, well, I know this is tough, but when it's over, then everything's going to be good. And you finish up that trial and you step right into the next one. What happened to me? What happened to me? This doesn't make any sense. I must be doing something wrong because I was supposed to get out of this one and then it was all going to be over. It's going to be smooth sailing from here. You know, that happens even in a practical way in our everyday life. My wife and I have been saying this for years. Get this done on the house, then everything will be good. If we can just get this thing fixed on the car, then we won't have any more. And you know how it is. One trial often leads to another trial. See, when we want to understand God's perspective in our trials, it's so important to realize that God does allow trials in our life. You can look back in Scripture and look to a person like the man named Job. Was Job in trouble because of doing wrong? No, he was in trouble for, for doing right. Is Paul in trouble for doing wrong? No, he's in trouble for doing right. Now, does God also bring judgment for doing wrong? Sure he does. And there are times we'd like to call our judgment trials and call our trials judgment, right? Well, clearly I'm in, a, I'm in a trial right now. No, you're not living for God, and God's trying to bring you closer to Him, and that's, that's judgment. But God uses that to bring us closer to Him, right? Well, this is just clearly God's judgment. No, it's just a time that you're facing, and it may be through no fault in a sense of your own, but God allows the trial in your life that you are facing. I think a sec second principle that we can see and we'll look at a specific passage here in the text that I want to point out to you, is that God protects during trials. Just because you're facing a trial doesn't mean it's as bad as it could be. Ever thought about that? Let's look at Acts 23. Look at verse 11. So Paul, at this point, he's already in prison. And it says, and, and the night following, the Lord stood by him. Isn't that encouraging when the Lord stands by you? The Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Hey, Paul, you're going to be okay. Be of good cheer. But think about it. Where's Paul? He's locked in prison. I mean, if you and I were to go downtown to the Harris County Jail today and walk in, and, and if they let us in to visit one of the cells, some of you have been there, I've been there before, and you walk in and you say, hey, guys, be of good cheer. Don't worry. It's all going to be good. They look at you. Something's wrong. What's going on? Hey, you're going to get to go not just in this jail. You get to go to another prison. That's, in, in a sense, what God is telling Paul, you're in prison here, but guess what? You get to go to prison in Rome, too. That's the negative way of looking at it. But if you look at it from God's perspective, is God protecting His servants so that He can perform an even greater work through Him in another place? Absolutely. You see, when we look at trials from our perspective, we'll get to that in a few weeks, that's a whole nother ballgame. But when we try to see things through God's perspective, we can see what's God doing. He's protecting Paul even in his difficult circumstance. Look at verse 12 of Acts 23. It says, And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. They, 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 they swore to each other, we're not going to eat or drink until he dies. In other words, they're basically saying, it's either him or us. And it says, and they were more than 40, which made this conspiracy. 
And they came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Now therefore ye with the council signify to the chief captain that he bring him down unto you tomorrow as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him and we or ever he come near are ready to kill him. So the religious leaders are in on this. I mean, we already know from Paul's own history that the religious leaders of Paul's day didn't have any qualms about killing somebody who disagreed with their position. Paul himself had been one of these religious leaders before he got saved. Yeah. God is amazing how he takes people out of the worst places and the worst circumstances and the worst backgrounds and he uses them for his glory. But in the middle of that, look at verse 16. When Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and he told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man to the chief captain, for he hath a certain thing to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain and said, Paul the prisoner called to, me, called to him and prayed me to bring this young man to thee, who hath something to say to thee. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, What is it thou hast to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring Paul down tomorrow to the council, as though thou would inquire of him more perfectly. But do not thou yield unto him. For there lie in wait for him of them more than forty men, which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, See thou tell no man thou hast showed these things to me. And he called him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten. So Paul now gets his own special guard, 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen. And they do this in the middle of the night, at the third of the night, third hour of the night, and provide them beasts. Paul gets to ride on a horse now that they may set Paul on and bring him safe unto Felix, the governor. Paul travels better when he's in prison than he did when he was on his missionary journey. And the government was paying for it all. God protects during trial. Was this easy for Paul? No. This wouldn't have been easy. This would have been very difficult. But God was still providing and protecting him. You know, when we think about God's perspective during our trials, he often gives us special comfort in difficult times. Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God gives special comfort to His servants when they face trial. If you're outside of the trial and you see somebody else going through a trial, you wonder sometimes, how are they able to do it? How are they making it through right now? It's because God gives special grace and special comfort when you're in the trial. And it's a comfort and it's a protection that you really don't experience until you're in the thick of the trial. You've experienced that perhaps in your life, something you've gone through, and, and you would have never chosen to go through that on your own. But now you're in it, or you've just come through it, and you look back and you say, only God, His grace truly is sufficient for me. God gives a special comfort of His promises and the clear teaching of His Word. He gives special comfort even through, as He describes in Philippians, a peace that passes all understanding. 
Paul wrote to the church of Philippi in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He said, be careful for nothing. Don't get all worried about stuff. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then if you know it, say it with me. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. Amen. That's special comfort. And it's special comfort that God gives when we ask Him to give. God protects during trials. He does it through special comfort. He also does it through clear leading in difficult times. Remember, Paul's in prison. When you're in prison, it's, it's hard to even know what's going on, right? Because you're locked in and things are taking place and you're just waiting for something to happen. You're waiting for somebody to come. You're hoping you get a visitor. You're hoping you get a lawyer. You're hoping somebody comes and just says, what's going to happen next? But God gives clear leading. He gave it to Paul as he appeared to Paul and says, be of good cheer. You're going to stand trial in Rome. Paul wrote about it this way in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. He says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. I told the story on Wednesday night here, and uh, our family, we've been reading through Pilgrim's Progress. And in that story, Pilgrim and his Christian is his name, the, the Pilgrim there, and his friend, they get locked up by the giant despair in this, in this dungeon, in this castle. And they don't know how to get out until they remember that God had given them a key, a way of escape. It's easy in our depression, our discouragement, our despair, to say there's no way to get out. There's no light. I don't know where to go. And, and the way John Bunyan writes that story, he talks about how the, the clouds were thick and dark, so thick that they couldn't see the light of the celestial city anymore. And they were locked down in that dungeon. And then Christian remembers, I've got a key. I have a way of escape. And they said, ah, surely this key won't work in this big old rusty door. But he tries it and turns it. And sure enough, the door opens. And it's not magic. It's that God makes a way of escape, clear leading in difficult times. Here's another interesting thing from our text. Look over at Acts 24, 22 of how God protects during trials. Look at Acts 24 and verse 22. This is when Paul is standing trial before Felix. This is one of the four that he faces. It says, and when Felix heard these things, this is after Paul presented his case and why he was doing the right thing. He said, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. Now, you could jump past that, but do you know what it's referring to, what Luke refers to over and over when he talks about the way in the book of Acts? He's talking about somebody who knows the way of Christianity or knows the truth. It comes from where we take it from John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's really interesting to me that Felix, this Roman government official, clearly knows something about Jesus and his followers. And because of his knowledge of the way, he doesn't put Paul to death right then. He says, you know what? We're going to wait until we've had a little more time to hear this matter. Isn't it interesting how God protects in difficult trials, even through this Roman government's official's knowledge of truth? Sometimes you get the idea when you're living life that, man, we're the only one left that still loves the Lord. We're the only ones left that still know anything about God. And I don't think this is teaching us that Felix was a believer. But he at least had knowledge that what Paul was doing wasn't crazy. He was a follower of the way. He had some kind of respect for the belief system that Paul held to. How did that belief system make its way into Felix's house? 
I don't know. In my study, I haven't been able to figure out how Felix knew about the way, but somehow Felix knew. I see this as part of God's providential hand in protecting Paul, even in his difficult trial. And then shortly after that, look down at Acts 25, verses 2 through 4. Felix has knowledge of the way, but we also see Felix's protection. It says, Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem, lying in the wait to kill him. This is the second time now that a group of people banded together. They're trying to kill Paul as he's being moved from one trial to the next. And it says, but, I'm sorry, not Felix, Festus. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Why did Festus keep him? Well, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whithersoever he will. Well, when we go through difficult times, sometimes we don't know what's going on. We don't know why we're facing it. But when we try to understand a little bit of God's perspective, can you see that even in your trial that God allows it and that's okay? And that God is protecting you even though it may be a difficult thing that you're facing. I think a third thing we can see about God's perspective in our trial is that God gives truth to face trials. In other words, God doesn't just throw you in a trial and say, figure it out, buddy. No. He gives us real truth that we can stand on. Look at Acts 24. And I just picked one reference here in this uh, section of, of description of Paul's trials. But here we can see what truth Paul was standing firmly upon that gave him hope during the trial. Look at verse 14, Acts 24, 14. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. They're calling me a heretic, but I'm not a heretic. I'm just worshiping God. Believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. You see, Paul knew the truth of the Old Testament, the prophets. He knew the truth of what Christ had done. And Paul is standing firmly even in the face of great trial, because he was standing upon that truth. And that's why he says, I have hope. I have hope in God. His hope wasn't in the judicial system. His hope wasn't in his own ability to try to argue his position and to get freedom for himself. No, his hope was in the Lord. And because of his hope in the Lord, he says in verse 16, Therefore, I will exercise myself, or I'm going to work really hard to always have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. So I wrote it this way. The truth to face trials gives us hope in God. When I have hope in God, then my relationship with God becomes my top priority. That's what Paul's saying here. I, I'm exercising myself to have a conscience void of offense before God. Why? Because his hope was in God. Why was his hope in God? Because he knew the truth that God had given him. God gives truth to face trials. But if you try to go through your trial without any truth to stand on, you're going to fall flat on your face. The song says... When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. 
You see, when you stand upon the truth of what God has done, when you stand upon the truth of His Word and the promises to us, when we stand upon the hope that we have in Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we can go through trials standing firmly upon the truth and we can make our relationship with God our top priority. You know, Paul was less concerned about getting out of prison. He was more concerned about keeping his relationship with God, right? It's interesting because, remember one of the guys, he's hoping for a bribe. Paul's like, I'm not going to give you a bribe. Why? Because my relationship with God matters. Some might have thought, well, let's figure out a way to break him out of prison. No, we don't need to do that. My relationship with God matters. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. His relationship with God was his top priority, but I think it's interesting. He says to have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. I would say this, God gives us truth to face trials so that your relationship with others must be considered as well. This is a tough one, but I think part of God's perspective in trials is that He allows us to go through difficult things so that other people will see how you respond in that difficult situation. And when you walk away from God and your relationship with God is not your top priority, other people's view of God too. Now, I would challenge you this. If you've seen someone else going through a trial and they've struggled, don't kick them to the curb. Don't say, well, not surprised. Yeah, you just wait till you go through that, and then we won't be surprised either when you struggle, right? So this is not an excuse to beat somebody up who's struggling when they're going through a trial. We ought to help them, but rather, this is an encouragement to us to make sure in the trials that we face to know that God's perspective, He's given us enough truth. He's given us hope to be able to get through that trial and to keep our relationship with Him right and to keep our relationship with others right as well. I'm not telling you this to judge anybody else. No, this is to point the finger at ourselves and say, Lord, give me strength to go back and remind myself of your truth. I, I've gone through some times of discouragement, different things in my life at different times. And you know one of the first things that happens when you go through those times? You stop reading your Bible. You stop meditating on the truth of God's Word. It happens to all of us. When you go through the trial, you often get away from the truth. But God's given us the truth so that we can walk through the trial with our hope in Him, keeping our relationship with God right and keeping our relationship with others right. If you're going through a difficult time and your relationship with God has been damaged because you've gotten frustrated or discouraged, you've taken your eyes off the Lord and got them on the circumstance, you're like Peter, you got your eyes off the Lord and start looking at those big waves and you start to sink. And because of that, you've lashed out at God or quit on God or lashed out at somebody else. I would just invite you this morning, come back to the Lord and confess it to Him. He's faithful and just to forgive. And He can restore those relationships. He can restore your relationship with Him, with others. You see, God didn't put you in a trial just so you would walk away from Him and you would quit on all the other people in your life. No, God did it to strengthen you and to strengthen them. God gives truth to face trials. One final point this morning. This is kind of the big one. Ah, they're all big ones, but this is the longest one in my notes. God's purpose is fulfilled through trials. God's purpose is fulfilled through trials. Would you turn back to Acts chapter 9? Because I want to remind you of what God told Paul that he would be doing right after Paul got saved. 
Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16, The Lord said to him, Go thy way, for he, this is talking about Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. Notice the next two words. And kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Was Paul going through the suffering now? Yes, he was. Had Paul borne the name of Jesus before the Gentiles? Yes, he had. Had he borne the name of Jesus before the Jews? Yes, he had. But you know what? God was going to give him the opportunity to bring the name of Jesus even before. You don't just stroll into Caesar's court and say, hey, I need to make an appointment with Caesar. You didn't just show up and say, hey, can I get some time on King Agrippa's schedule? I'd like a sit down with Festus and Felix. No. God knew that the way that Paul was going to stand before those kings was going to be as a prisoner of the gospel. God knew the way in. You look at doors and say, well, the, the door's closed. There's no way in. I don't know how to get in. I don't know what to do. God knew what to do. There's no door that's closed to the Lord. God has a purpose, and He always fulfills His purpose. The song we've sung before, nothing ever can, nothing ever will stand against the Lord our God because He always wins. He's always victorious. You know, for us, we look, well, how would you ever get into the king? How would you get before the president? How would you get to this person or that person? I mean, there's no hope because nobody could ever share the gospel with them. No. God can get it there. And He did it through Paul here. But you know what? God did it in the Old Testament through Queen Esther. God did it through Joseph with Pharaoh. God did it with Moses and Pharaoh, a different Pharaoh. God always has a way to fulfill His purpose. Now look back at Acts 26. Acts 26. It says, For the king knoweth of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. This is Paul talking here, and he's talking about King Agrippa. As he's there before King Agrippa, um, Festus says to him, like, Paul, you're crazy. You're mad. <laughs> what are you talking about? Much learning hath made thee mad, he says. And so Paul says, no, no, the king, King Agrippa, he knows about this. These weren't secret things that took place. And then Paul looks at King Agrippa in verse 27, and he says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? Can you imagine the boldness here of Paul to speak like this to King Agrippa? But God had given him the platform. God had given him the opportunity. This wasn't because Paul was just this incredible politician and he was buddy-buddies with King Agrippa. No, Paul's the prisoner on trial. But God is accomplishing his purpose even through Paul's trial. And he's looking right at King Agrippa. King Agrippa, I know you believe. I know you believe. And then Agrippa says to Paul, and Agrippa answers him right back. He's speaking to a man-to-man at this point. He, he's not hollering at him. He's like, what's this prisoner saying? No, he just looks right back at him and he says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Now, sad to think that Agrippa may never have trusted Christ as his Savior. That's sad from, from Agrippa's standpoint. But think about this from just a cultural standpoint of that day. For Agrippa to even make that statement is incredible. That he would make that statement in, in a Roman court in front of all these other leaders. 
He doesn't look down and say, what is this about being a Christian? Hail Caesar. No, he doesn't do that. He looks right at him and he says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I have no idea about Agrippa's soul, but I sure hope before he died he did trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe we'll get to see Agrippa someday. And Paul said, listen to what Paul says now. I mean, Paul's now, he's taken over the room at this point. And he says, I would to God that not only thou, but also all them that hear me this day were almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. I don't want you locked up like me, but I want everybody in this room to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. What an incredible platform God gave Paul to stand upon because God fulfills His purposes even through our trials. Is God's work worth your suffering? Is God's purpose worth your trial? We see the purpose of the gospel. I think we also see the purpose of spiritual growth. God takes and fulfills His purpose through trial of taking the gospel to places where it might not otherwise go, but He also uses these trials to help us to grow. Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death. You see, as we walk through trials, we walk through suffering, it gives us closer fellowship and relationship with God. God uses your suffering to grow you spiritually. Romans 5, Paul says in verses 3 and 4, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Why is somebody able to go through a trial and have hope? It's because that tribulation works patience, builds up your endurance, makes you stronger and able to deal with those difficulties. That endurance then transforms into experience. Yeah, I've been here before. We just started swim practice last week and when it's your first year and you get in the pool, it's freezing cold. The distances are so far, you'll never make it. You're just exhausted and you just want to quit. But when you come back the next year, you're like, oh yeah, I did that before. I can do that this time. You know how it is. Some of you made New Year's resolutions this year. I'm going to get back in the gym. Gym is so crowded the first week of January. I think the first week of January, I stayed home and ran on the street and just worked out there and then waited until all those people kind of quit and then then start going. Why? Because it's hard to start a thing. But after you've been through it a while, what happens? Tribulation works patience or endurance, the ability to do more. That patience then brings experience. And then that experience brings hope. It pushes us forward so that the next time we face that tribulation, we have hope we'll get through this one too. We have hope because we know God's doing something great in in my life. He's doing something in my family's life. He's doing something in this world to get the gospel out, to bring people closer to Him. Paul said it well in Romans 8, verse 1, There is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's the hope he's talking about. There's the purpose of spiritual growth. Paul had that experience in his own life as he dealt with his thorn in the flesh. Remember, and he says in 2 Corinthians 12 that he asked God three different times to take away that thorn and God wouldn't remove it. But what did God use that thorn in Paul's life to do? To grow him spiritually. That tribulation works patience, which becomes experience, which then results in hope. 
I want to give you one final purpose here of God's work, and I'm sure you could come up with an even longer list on your own, but we also see very clearly the purpose of God's glory. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.15, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? When Felix, it's being talked about that he had more perfect knowledge of the way. It's pretty incredible when Agrippa says, yeah, I do know what the prophets say. And almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. It's pretty incredible that God would take this Roman authority who at that time was just seen as harsh and cruel and in charge over everything. And all the Jews wanted to do was throw them off. But God, even in the midst of this very pagan, powerful, militaristic government, God's glory is shining forth and shining through. Acts 23, 11, we already looked at it. The Lord came to Paul and he says, Be of good cheer, for as thou hast testified to me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Bearing witness is speaking of the glory of God and his power to change lives. That God would take a murderer like Paul and put him in a position where he's now on trial for the same thing that he used to kill people for. But God would use that to bring glory to himself and that everybody would hear all the way, and we'll get to there in, in the last chapter of Acts, all the way from Caesar's household, all the way down. It wasn't just a grip by himself. Luke clearly records his wife was there with him too. Why is Bernice recorded for us in Scripture? Well, what did she do? Well, whatever she did, she was married to Agrippa. God cared about that whole household. He made sure both husband and wife heard the gospel that day. I think that's pretty neat. God has often allowed people to face trials to accomplish His purpose. Has God ever allowed something in your life to bring you closer to Himself or to use you to carry the message of the gospel somewhere where you wouldn't otherwise. Several years ago, I got a call from Brother Padilla. His sister was in, the, in an assisted place over here just off Shepherd, Angela. And I remember going and visiting her that day, and we got to talk about the Lord. And through that, I know my mom spent a lot of time in Bible study with her, and Angela's one of those special members of our church that's never set foot in our church because of her health thing it needs. But she's as part of the church as anybody else is. She prays, she listens to the messages. She gives. She communicates. God allowed something very difficult in her life. She ended up having to have both of her legs amputated below the knee. But God was working out His purpose. It wasn't an easy way. Wasn't there an easier way? Well, God knows the way that we'll take. And God allows things like that. I was talking to my aunt this week who she told me how they had prayed for many, many years for her dad to trust Christ. He seemed hardened to the gospel, not interested. But God allowed him to get cancer. And just a short time before he passed away, he trusted Christ as his Savior. God often allows difficult things in our lives to bring us closer to Him. And He allows difficult things in our lives to use us to take the gospel to others. This past Monday, I posted on, on my Facebook page, but some friends of ours gave birth to their first little one. 
And he lived eight minutes and then passed away. They knew this was coming. The doctors had already told them that the little baby had health problems and he wasn't going to make it. He was their first. So hard. But I heard a testimony already this week that a friend of theirs, who was a nurse, was at work in the break room and she began to tell the story of her friends who just lost this little baby. And as her friends heard the story, and then she said, and, this, and they go, well, what are the parents doing? And they said, well, he actually wrote this beautiful post, and he said, it is well with my soul. And she shared the message of that song, and then she led right from there into the gospel. And I think she said four of her coworkers trusted Christ in the break room this week. Now, that little baby's he's in heaven today. Those parents are sorrowful, of course. Trials are not easy, they're hard. But God still gets his work done, and he does it in a beautiful way. Think about this from God's perspective, because God, we see things from an earthly perspective, God sees it from a heavenly perspective. We see all this hard stuff in life, but can you try just in your mind to try to imagine what it's going to be like 10,000 years from now when we're in heaven together? And we look back and we say, you know what? Scripture's right. The trials of this life, yeah, they're here, but they're nothing to be compared with the glory that we're enjoying today. Boy, that life, it was hard, but James was right. It's just a vapor. Just a breath. It's just here for a little time, and then it's over. We will probably not until we get to heaven know all of God's perspective in our trials. But as a Christian, when you're on trial, Christianity on trial, like Paul was, four times in a row, we can know that, yes, God does allow those trials. God does protect even in the trial. God gives us truth to make it through the trial. And God's purpose is being accomplished through us and in this world. Our perspective is limited. But maybe today the Lord would give us just a little bit of His perspective on the challenges that we face. I think if we try to look at it through his eyes, it gives us hope. It encourages us to keep on. I already asked the question, but I'll ask it again as we close. Is God's work worth the price of your suffering? I will tell you this, when I'm suffering, it's hard for me to answer that yes. But when I look objectively at the truth of God's word, I can't help but answer, man, I'd be willing to go through anything if God's work was accomplished. When I feel it, the suffering is like, no, no, I don't want to do this. It's not worth it. But when we look back at what God has done, I think it, we will be able to say it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Our trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrows will erase. So gladly run the race till we see Christ. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? And maybe God's spoken to your heart this morning about something. Maybe you're going through it. And you've been battling but not doing too well, and you need to come and give it to the Lord today. Ask Him for grace and help. He's promised a way of escape, but you've got to go His way. If you're here this morning and maybe the trials you've gone through, God's using it to bring you to Himself because you need to be saved today. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And because of our sin, the wages of sin, we deserve death, but God gives eternal life. Trust in Him today. Call upon Him. Ask Him to forgive you and He'll save you.
Let's pray. Lord, help us now. Help us to do what you want us to do. Help us to see even just a little glimpse today of what you're doing in us and through us, even through the challenges that we face. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of Paul and Luke and Timothy and all these others who stood for you. Lord, help us not to just look at this as some historical record, but rather the inspired Word of God that gives us hope and answers and perspective on what we face. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts today. In Jesus' name I pray.